Greg, Maya, and Betty are not experts, nor do they claim to be. They're just a bunch of nerds who enjoy talking about movies, shows, and current events. So sit back, grab a coffee, relax, and enjoy a brand new episode of All Queued Up. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of All Queued Up, the review podcast tied to streaming services like Netflix, Amazon Prime, HBO Max, Disney Plus, etc., etc., etc. I'm your host, Greg Deason. With me always is Maya Don Fisher and Betty Badger. How are you two doing today? I'm good. Uh, it's a nice Wednesday, and we celebrated Yule this week, and I uh, got lots of nice prezzies, one of them being a baby Grogu that moves and makes noises, and I'm very happy about it. So it's, it's just going to be a good week in general. How are you, Maya? Uh, well, I'm wonderful on this uh, Festivus. Uh, there will be an airing of grievances later. <laughs> uh, for for those of you who aren't aware, today is Festivus for the rest <laughs> of us. Um, and we're recording on Festivus. And tomorrow was Christmas Eve. And then christmas day when this publishes uh that's our gift to you guys uh but i'm great yeah i'm having a having a good morning um expecting some packages uh you know last minute and there's definitely going to be three or four that are arriving after christmas uh at least so I joked with Madison last night. I thought, since some of your packages aren't here yet and they're going to be delivered slowly one by one, I think that we're going to do the 12 days of Christmas and you can open up one package per day. And she's like, what? I was like, yeah. So pick your package. And she started picking things up and starts shaking them. She's like, well, this one's really light. This one's kind of heavy. I was like, yeah, I think we're going to open them up on based on weight, the, the lightest one to the heaviest one. Let's do it like that. She's like, really? And I was like, no, not really. I was just fucking with her. Uh, but it was funny while it lasted. I had her going for about 15 minutes last night. <laughs> Did she get to open a present? No, not yet. Oh, you're so mean. I've, no, actually, no, I've do. actually done that. So, I mean, because, again, we don't celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Yule. Sometimes we've just done it like, you know, a week-long thing. We get a present on each day. We kind of, you know, we got Jewish in us. And so, you know, it kind of goes along with that as well. So, I mean, I don't know. It's always well, I, told her, I told her we were going to start on Christmas Day, opening up one a day. <laughs> How she feel about that? Well, she was like, okay, but no, nah, I mean, I always let her open one on Christmas Eve evening, um, but then the rest will be on Christmas Day. But, I'm assuming she doesn't believe in Santa Claus anymore. No, no, no. Yeah. Oh, it was so fun when she used to, mm-hmm. because whatever big thing I got for her, I would always put it together after being yep. set it up, and I would have fun doing that. That's so, what Jeff and I would do. Yeah, and we that, had a lot of fun. Remember building uh, our first share of castles and yeah. houses and uh, doll houses. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Greg would know what we would talk about if you know he had children of his own. I guess, but you'll never, you don't know the joy of childhood, sir. Or child, you'll have no crotch droppings. Yeah, goddamn population. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Speaking of, how are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. I uh, 
<laughs> I've been kind Crouch of uh, dropping. <laughs> just laughing there, was, at that. <laughs> there was a little bit of stress recently with uh, family stuff, but it seems to have subsided, so we're pretty good. Um, I had a lot of fun with the uh, the gift exchange with the thing we did recently. I guess yeah, cool. yeah. We were part of a secret Santa over the weekend. All three of us. And we got some nice things. Yeah, the 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 book that uh, I ended up getting was uh, something I wanted for a long time because it it kind of goes through the development history of of uh, Shovel Knight and shows some like concept art and whatnot. It's just it's it's awesome. It's fucking awesome. Shovel Knight being one of my favorite games, by the way. But, that's awesome. Um, yeah, for everybody that's uh, is joining us today, we're going to be talking about three things. Um, and this is going to be a probably a longer than normal podcast just because I feel like all three subjects are going to have a lot to discuss about. Uh, but we're going to be talking about the, uh, the the finale of Mandalorian, Episode 8, Chapter 16, uh, Season 2 specifically. Um, episode, the Rescue. Yeah, the Rescue. Uh, episode 1 of The Stand on CBS All Access and uh, the documentary Hillbilly on Hulu. Um, but uh, why don't we get go ahead and get started with Mandalorian since I'm sure... Betty, you have a lot of questions. I have some, yeah. <laughs> we might be able to answer those. Yeah, there might be some that we're just like, I don't know. Um, but, um, yeah, do we give a synopsis for this episode? I mean, I'm sure everyone's watched it. Uh, yeah, this episode was action-packed, and it was basically it was set up uh, as everybody who's been watching along uh, or watching and then listening to our reactions. Um, or if you haven't been watching, regardless, uh, the, the buildup for this episode had been coming. Uh, the Mandalorian, Din Djarin, is mounting a rescue to save Baby Yoda, a.k.a. Grogu, as his uh, come to be known, uh, from the clutches of Moff Gideon. And to do so, he can't do it by himself. He's enlisted help. He's got the coordinates to the ship, thanks to Miggs Mayfield in the prior episode, played by Bill Burr. And now he and uh, a few friends or allies have formed a rescue party composed of Cara Dune, uh, Shannon Finn, uh, or Fennec Shand. Shannon Finn, wow. <laughs> Fennec Shand, I totally dyslexia there. Uh, Boba Fett, Bo-Katan, and Bo-Katan's, uh, one of her Mandalorian soldiers, played by uh, Sasha Banks of the WWE. I couldn't think of her character's name off the top of my head. Yeah. But it's pretty action-packed, start-to-finish, a major, major appearance happens. Um, basically, this cruiser is filled with a whole platoon of dark troopers, even though there's not a lot of regular troopers on board. Uh, but the dark troopers, you know, they have to be pacified. And we see Mando come face to face with one dark trooper. And the thing, you know, it, it, it takes some doing. He's able to take it out. But there's a full platoon of them. Uh, just waiting to get at this boarding party. Um, 
Okay, so let's talk about some things we learned in the first part of the episode. Mm -hmm. Okay, you know, they go and they get control of that scientist, the clone scientist. Mm -hmm. Um, After they've got their kit together, we do find out that um, the dark, what are they? The dark troopers. The dark troopers are not human. They are bionic. They got rid of the human, you know, or as much as they could. So that's one thing we found out about that. Another thing with Bo-Katan, we found out what she was looking for, which is. She's been looking for the dark saber. Uh-huh. So want to put that out there. So we know when we're walking into the situation before we get to the, the Mandalorian uh, dark trooper fight. The, these are some of the tidbits that we learned that will be. Um, it, it will come into play later on in the episode. So we get on that ship and they, you know, they completely go their separate ways. They've got their own agendas. We know that Grogu's in the bridge. Of course, that's where Mando's going. And then we get to the epic fight scene Maya was describing about, uh, you know, what was going on there. Because, holy shit, that dude took a licking. Let's hear it in your glory, Maya. Oh, hey, it took quite a licking. When he went toe to toe with the dark trooper, hey, he threw a left, he threw a right, he caught a blow to the ribs, he was smashed around about and took a few up the side of the head. <laughs> he said, Ow, that hurts. He says, Oh, my bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what about, okay, so they finish it, you know, he gets away. I thought it was kind of funny. I was like, oh, they're like zombies. You just got to take off the head. And then, well, yeah, that. yeah. He basically, he took that Beskar spear mm-hmm. and he pierced the central core processor of the thing. Yeah. So then, you know, you see that whole room full of troopers. And Jeff and I were like, how's this going to go down? And he just blows them out of airlock. And I was like, well, how convenient was that? And I'm like, well, Star Wars, he pulled it us, convenient. Uh, he pulled us a Gorny Weaver out there. <laughs> I mean, they just whoosh out in the space. I was like, that was really convenient. <laughs> I mean, but why would you put the- them in a room where they could whoosh out into space? Because that's also, you know, they can deploy from there. Uh, and that's something that, you know, he probably realized that it's only going to buy them time because they are droids, so they can operate in deep space and they are equipped with jetpacks, as we saw a couple episodes mm-hmm. before they can fly. So, you know, it I just, wonder if that just combobulates them when they get they're like, wait, this wasn't supposed to happen. What do we do now? Yeah, I'm sure it took them a few minutes to reassess and, you know, get their get under control and get back. But, you know, it's just buys them just a couple of minutes. I mean, they were badass. They were really, really badass. I mean, Mando definitely took a lick, and I think he was even surprised at how hard it was. Yeah. I me up during that scene because he goes, he goes, I'm just like, Mando, like, like the, the, the best guard just takes a hell of a punch. And I'm just like, yeah, I can block a lightsaber. I wasn't that surprised. And he goes, um, I was like, it was cool. It was awesome, and we know that like even Mando himself can take a hit, you know, even though the best guy was protecting him because they were still fucking knocking his ass around. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was getting tossed around like a rag doll. Yeah. 
Well, Greg, what do you? Okay, let's let's go to you. What happens next? Uh, after that scene, I'm, I'm trying to remember the the exact. I, I know that <laughs> for me, one of the coolest parts of the episode, and I'm and I'm I might be jumping here. I don't remember, but it was the um, as people were calling it on on social media, the the woman power mo moment in the in the episode. Oh yeah, so, such uh, a, it was a force of badass bitches. I loved it. Yeah, they people were pointing out that that scene is how you do that kind of thing. Um, and that Marvel needs to take note. Yeah. Uh, as I don't, I don't know if we've discussed it on the podcast before or whatever, but when um, Marvel, uh, when Avengers Endgame came out, there's a scene where all the female heroes that have existed so far in the uh, MCU kind of like come together at a moment to help. And it seemed very forced. I know that a lot of people are just like, this seems very forced and like, they're just putting it in here. So that way, you know, it shows inclusion or whatever. I thought it was awesome. I don't disagree, but that's how people felt. And, but this scene was different than that. This felt natural, you know? Uh, yeah, it's it also forced. easier to work a, a four woman squad than, you know, like 15 to 20 different women on one battlefield and chaining them all together. This is four. This is a four woman squad in close quarters in these corridors. Uh, you know, so it's a lot easier and feels more natural in that regard. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, and but people, people had noticed like there were the people, I, I saw people saying that they didn't even notice that it was one of those moments in the show until it was happening. They were just kind of like, oh my God, like I didn't even realize that this was a woman power moment because of, you know, like it just didn't, it, it, it wasn't uh, forced. Yeah. You weren't expecting it. You know, it's yeah. not like something they threw in your face. It was just like, oh, wow, cool. Yeah. You know? So much fun to watch. Like, oh, it was absolutely like the, uh, uh, the whole, like the gun jamming and then, and then not jamming. Oh, so much fun. But, uh, and they kicked ass. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And then they but, make their way to the bridge and nobody's there. Where is Moff Gideon, Maya? Maya? I don't know. I don't know there, Lando. Am I hon or am I hand? I mean, what's going on here? <laughs> Solo. <laughs> um, so we cut back to the Mandalorian and he finds Grogu in his little prison cell. And Moff Gideon standing there with the dark saber ignited at his throat, and he's like, "Let's talk." <laughs> he's like, "Let's make a deal." He's like, Let's "I just want the kid," and he's like, "Okay, take him. I just wanted his blood. I've gotten his blood. I got what I wanted from him, you know. And with it, I'll restore order to the galaxy, and you're free to go." He's like, okay. He goes and picks him up and he starts to walk away. And that's when Gideon double crosses him and swings the dark saber. And those two get into a fight. Okay. Let's, let's just first of all, baby Grogu looks so sad. He looks so sad. Second of all, he was tired. I, yeah, he was. He was so tired. Bless his little heart. Second of all, I don't trust that motherfucker Moff Gideon, okay? I don't give a shit what he said. Uh-uh. This ain't going down without a fight, and you ain't going to come at me from behind. Of course, Mando did win in the end, but 
I, why would you even trust him? He's moth fucking Gideon. Don't trust him. Well, you know, he just wanted the kid and he wanted to get the kid out of there. So that's all he was thinking. But, uh, yeah, that, and that then turned into he a spared his life. Yeah. Yeah. When he, uh, he disarms Moff Gideon, uh, essentially winning the dark saber in combat, um, which comes heavily into play in a few moments, but they, uh, once he takes, uh, disarms Moff Gideon, takes him into custody, they make their way to the bridge and he tells Bo-Katan, he's like, here, here's the dark saber. And Moff Gideon's like, oh, she can't take it. Yeah. He gets all chuckly and shit. He's like, oh, no. He said she can't take it because it has to be one in combat. And so in order for her to rule Mandalore, she must win it by force. And he's like, I don't care about that here. It's yours. And she's yeah. like, no, I can't take it. And she refuses it. So that's setting up something for season three. You know, and she is not her. happy. You can see in her face. She is oh. not fucking happy. Oh, she's pissed. Yeah, she is pissed. And I, I don't trust her. Uh, she's got her own motives. Absolutely. I know. And I didn't trust her the first time we encountered her. You know? And so, Greg, would you like to take it from here? And That's it's, it's fine. I'm just, I was going to say, because I can't remember exactly how the episode went, but um, like in, in detail to that regard. Cause okay, I can take over damn near a week but i was just going to point out that uh i don't think that they've ever mentioned in other star wars media the 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 point of the dark saber at least they didn't in clone wars that she was in i think they did in rebels they did in rebels okay uh, it had been established that whoever uh inherited the dark saber was rightful ruler of mandalore i don't remember where exactly it was stated though but i know that has been established okay because I, I, I honestly was like, I don't remember if it was or wasn't. But. Well, I've not watched all of Clone Wars or Rebels, but I know that's been a thing and it's been said before. Uh, I just can't rec remember the source of where I saw it. I mean, contextually, it was very clear that the, the Darksaber meant something in regards to in regards to her and Mandalore because of how she was acting towards it before he said that. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, and she could have just taken it, but it would have been, you know, in her heart of hearts, she would have been a traitor to the throne. Any other people who thought in that same stupid vein would also see her as a traitor to the throne. So, not so much a traitor as a pretender. Yeah, pretender. So she's some bad's going to happen between the two of them, and of course, I don't know what's going to happen. But yeah, that that was very. Mm, shit's gonna go down. Bitch is not happy. So, yeah. And then after that, we know things are about to hit the fan. And then all of a sudden, something comes into the radar. What is it? It's an X Wing. And it comes in and it docks. And there's a dude in a black cloak that gets out with a green lightsaber. You can't see him, but they're all watching him on security. And you keep looking at Moff Gideon. You can tell in his face. He's like, oh, fuck. I don't want to be here right now. Oh, fuck. You know, everybody else is like, what? Baby Yoda's on the screen going, oh, touching it and shit. This Jedi's coming through. He's just fucking knocking shit left and right, left and right. Finally gets to the fucking bridge and it opens. And who is it, Greg? It is uh, Luke Skywalker himself. So, 
Uh, I want to kind of mention a couple things. I think this is really funny to me is that um, I, and I'm pretty sure Maya's in the same boat, realized it was Luke very quickly. Me too. Jeff okay. kept saying, no, it's not. No, it's not. I was like, honey, that's his lightsaber. That is him. <laughs> when he came in, he had that glove. I was like, that is so Luke Skywalker. And then he took off his hood. I was like, that is an excellent deep fake. <laughs> <laughs> I, it was funny because I, I think I said out loud as it happened, um, as soon as like the X-Wing came into uh, came into shot, I, I think I said out loud, I was like, I swear to God, if that's Luke, and then, of course, the the scene with the him turning on the lightsaber, and I was just like, "Holy shit, it is Luke!" Mm-hmm. Admittedly, I wasn't expecting Luke. I was Who expecting- else is gonna be showing up in a fucking X wing? It's so, got so to be. It could have been another Jedi entirely. That's it's what un- Jeff was saying. I was like, "Nope, it's Luke." It's Luke. It, it's un- well. I wasn't sure it was Luke myself because I thought it could have been Ezra Bridger, right? Because he also wielded a green lightsaber. And it was the it was the it was a, the green lightsaber and the glove is what give it away for me. Mm, yeah, it was and 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 the glove. I was like, okay, yeah, that's Luke. But you know, the last time we saw him, he was battling Grand Admiral Thrawn. So I thought there was a possibility it could have been him, but it made the most sense for it to be Luke because Luke of course was setting up a Jedi teaching Academy around this time. Uh, because this does take five years after the uh, last uh, return of the Jedi. So it made sense for it to be Luke. I was just hoping it would have been Ezra, but I wasn't disappointed at all. I was actually really excited and I was just like, Oh shit. Yeah. Part of, part of the, the, the complaints that I'm seeing online about Luke being in the scene is that, it takes away from the show's specialness of being unique and not part of anything that had to do with the trilogies directly. Um, and I kind of understand that I, I, I'd love a story that doesn't directly uh, involve other characters from other uh, parts of star Wars. But at the same time, you're going to really look at me in the fucking face and tell me that that scene wasn't cool as shit. Like that's really what you're going to do right now because you are upset that Luke was in the fucking episode. Like, well, and the way I look at it, Luke's not going to have a part in this. He took Rogu away. We're still going to be following the Mandalorian because it is the Mandalorian, not the child, not baby Yoda, not Grogu. It is the Mandalorian. The kid will come back once he's been trained we'll probably see luke again or somebody else drop his ass off and he'll have been trained yeah i have i have a theory as to what will happen in regards to that um i think that next season maybe the next two seasons we won't see grogu at all no Uh, i think that uh the show is going to advance normally and then uh we're going to have a situation where either luke or somebody else is going to show up with grogu because in um, in the new trilogy, they explained that um, Luke basically set up a Jedi temple, and then about three, th- four, or three years before, uh, three or four years before the events of Force Awakens, Ben Solo went off to be uh, Kylo Ren, and before he took off, he like killed, quote unquote, killed everybody at the Jedi Temple and destroyed the Jedi Temple, which caused Luke to go into exile. Um. 
I believe that much like the situation with Ray, um, Grogu is going to be dropped off by either a Luke or something. Some other force is going to drop off Grogu back with Mando because he knows that Mando can take care of Grogu. For fuck's sake, for all we know, we might see fucking Princess Leia. True. I mean, I don't it'll be hard to do, but deep faking, man. I mean, they deep fake the shit out of Luke. I mean, they can deep fake the shit out of Carrie Fisher. Just, it just would not be hard. My honest opinion: get Carrie Fisher's daughter and then deep fake her. Mm-hmm. That's, how you do. That's how you do that. She's like literally the exact same sizes as Carrie Fisher. With the same facial expressions and stuff, you know, she, the way she smiles, the way she laughs. Yeah, they should, they could totally, I would love to see her reprise Carrie Fisher as the drop off person. That's all we need is little tiny cameos. That's it. I'm okay with that. And, that. and that's another thing is like, I, I would, I would technically be upset if the show went the route of like just pandering to the audience and saying like, you remember when this thing happened and, and doing the whole like South Park member berries shit. I'd be upset if that was the case, but that's not the case here. Um, Ahsoka, Boba Fett, uh, uh, and now Luke are intertwined to the plot and makes sense versus just being there as a cameo. So I was, I was totally fucking okay with it. Also Monday rumors are popping up that there's a Luke Skywalker series for Disney plus in development. Uh, it's it's been reported over quite a few outlets, but you know nothing definitive yet. That may be something they have in plan, but I know they do have um, several things planned, and we'll go into that here mo- momentarily. Yeah. But yeah, uh, that was a touching moment when Luke shows up, and uh, Mando was like, "Well, this is it, kid. He's here for you." He took and, and- his helmet off. Yeah, yeah. And then he looks at Luke and he's like, he doesn't want to go with you. He's like, he's asking for your permission. So he takes his helmet off and they have a little touching moment and Grogu looks him in the eyes and Mando's sitting there and he's got tears in his eyes and Grogu puts his hand on his cheek and then he sets him down and hands him off. And Who wasn't crying? R2. I wasn't. I'll shut your face. (laughs) I wasn't. I was, my jaw was still on the floor, actually. Um, (laughs) But Misty was like right behind me and she had her hands on my back and I felt tears hitting my shoulder because she was crying. Uh, I was crying. Not like sobbing, but I definitely. Oh, yeah. I had the Kleenex, man. (laughs) But R2 comes in and, you know, then the three of them depart. And you just, it closes on everybody standing there on the bridge. Like, what now? And I loved how Grogu and R2-D2, they they seem to understand each other and like each other. I thought that was so cute. So, I don't know if I've ever told you to, but uh, R2 is my favorite Star Wars character. Aw. And so that scene, I was just like, yeah, that's cute. (laughs) Uh, I I sent both of you a TikTok that has now gone... Uh, viral about a mom talking to her daughter and she's just like it she's crying because she saw this finale and it was really sad and and uh she's having trouble processing it and it's it's really funny the mom goes like it's just it's through this girl's morning before getting ready for school or whatever they're doing oh yeah 
she's like she's crying in front of her and she's like it was emotional huh <laughs> and you can't tell me because you don't want to spoil it <laughs> and it cuts to her eating breakfast and she's still crying. i know bless her heart i felt so bad for her oh so good i was like yep yeah, we've all been there lady <laughs> we've all been there girl like we've been playing but uh, that's not the end of it who wants to tell us the little secret after the credits? I do want to say, I do want to say that if you did not stay, like, I'm glad that Maya messaged me uh, on Friday morning. Have you watched the episode? And I said, I'm watching. And she goes, stay for after the credits. And I was like, oh, shit, okay. I'm glad you said something because I don't know that I would have. And I And it's kind of crazy how many people didn't. Oh, I know a lot of people didn't. Like I was, uh, my buddy Sam that we do Nerd Life Syndicate together on Friday nights. Um, he messaged me. He's like, man, did you watch this morning already? I was like, yeah. What do you think of that end credit scene? He's like, fuck, there's an end credit scene? Shit, be right back. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there's an end credit scene. And it shows, it, it shows us uh, Jabba's Palace on Tatooine. And you see Bib Fortuna. Here, five years later, after Return of the Jedi, and he's gained a little bit of weight, and he's sitting on a throne where Jabba's uh, Jabba traditionally would have been. And uh, Fennec Shand and Boba Fett come in and just kill everybody. He's like, Boba, I thought you were dead. And Boba just puts a blaster in him and then goes and sits down on the throne and Fennec Shand, you know, is just standing there by his side. And then it fades to black and it says, coming December 2021, the book of Boba Fett. So we're getting another series um, that wasn't announced on Investor Day. So that was right. a clever little surprise. Yeah. A pleasant surprise. So now we're getting uh, that are set in the same timeline as The Mandalorian. Next year, we're getting Rangers of the New Republic, the Ahsoka show, and the Book of Boba Fett. Now, they've already said that characters will cross over from time to time. And then the th there's probably going to be like a big crossover slash big event type crossover deal. And I think that might be like maybe a retaking of Mandalore. Uh, Ooh. Or maybe even something bigger, like Grand Admiral Thrawn come into play. Yeah. Uh, so I'm really excited about all the possibilities that there are going on. There's just a lot there. Um, one of the things I thought was fucking awesome, and they didn't show this in the episode itself, but it was talked about on um, like Disney's social media and whatnot. Um, one of the, uh, the executive producers of the book of Boba Fett is Robert uh, Rodriguez. Robert Rodriguez. And that excites me greatly. Oh, yeah. Because I love him as a director, and he was the one that directed the episode on Tython. And I'm just like, all right, this is great. So, yeah. I mean, we got a lot of great content being promised to us, and I'm excited about it. So going to be good times. Betty, did you have any specific questions that were lingering after watching this episode that you have not had answered? Um, No, not really. Uh, again, I think I addressed everything I wanted to throughout the commentary, so 
Yeah, I think I'm good now. All right. Awesome. Well, let's give our final thoughts and a grade on it, I suppose, on the whole season, though, not just uh, not just the episode. Or you can give episode and, and season, and whatever you make you make the choice. But um, Betty, I'd like to hear your your thoughts on it, since how you feel about Star Wars as a whole. So, um, actually, I give the season an A plus and this episode an A plus plus. I thought it was really well done. Um. I liked the little intricacies that were in it, you know, knowing that these characters all kind of had different motives for doing what they were doing. Um, finding out about the dark saber and the fact that she has to win it in combat. Well, that's going to be interesting. You know, um, Jeff thought I would be really upset. I think when Luke took Grogu away, but I'm okay with it because I know it'd be fine. You know, he's he's not going to die. I know he'll be <laughs> fine. You know, he will come back when it's time for him to come back. And he's been able to learn things, you know. So, and I'm not concerned that Luke or any of the rest of that stuff is going to actually interfere with this show. It was just a cameo. You know, they deep faked his ass for fuck's sake, you know. And it was cute and I appreciate it, but I think that's all it was there for. So I'm, I was very pleased overall and I'm looking forward to next season. What about you, uh, Maya? Oh, uh, a plus for the episode, a plus for the season, this season blew season one out of the water. I agree. Um, season one was great. Don't get me mm -hmm. wrong. But season two just built upon what season one had established and cranked it up to 11. Uh, so to speak, and it left me wanting more. Uh, you know, eight episodes is nice. I, you know, I, I, anytime anything leaves me wanting more, that's a hallmark of something that I really, really enjoyed. And it sucks that it's over now, and I have to wait a whole year for uh, this again. But hopefully, you know, we'll get a few things in the meantime to tide us over because we're getting wonderful star wars content uh you know a lot of people have been very conflicted and mixed on the last trilogy that was in theaters i myself i enjoyed every bit of it but you know i can't speak for everyone a lot of people it's it's divisive but this is something that a lot of people seem to be really really in agreement upon for the most part uh is how well this show has been done um but yeah I'm excited. I can't wait. What do you think, Greg? Uh, I've said time and time and time again that a story is as good as the people making it. Um, you can take a bad actor and make them a good actor with a good director. Uh, and not only does this show have excellent actors, but it has excellent directors. If you go through each episode and look at who directed the episode, it's insane. Like, I don't know how much money Disney is throwing at this show, but eight dollars. What's that? Eight dollars. Specific. Oh, that's fucking. Yeah, a lot it's of amazing. love is clear. <laughs> a lot of love, regardless of how much is being spent. Um, it's very clear to me that when uh, so Marvel has been kind of doing this when it comes to their content, and that's handing off the reins of these shows and, and movies to people who actually give a shit about star Wars. 
Um, when, when you have a movie or a show that is just being made for the sake of making money and that somebody has taken the source material and kind of just gone wherever the fuck they want with it, it's very clear that you're just, it's not going to come out as well. And Mandalorian is proof that if you give somebody who knows what the fuck they're doing enough resources, they can make something that everyone will love. Um, now, granted, you still have your like shitty fucking fans and whatnot, and that, that really sucks because it's going to happen, but it seems like with Mando, Star Wars is at a point where I can have a conversation with anybody about the show and like even people that are critiquing it on having legacy characters, quote unquote. Um, and by legacy, I mean, you know, not brand new characters uh, yeah. are still like, it's fucking amazing. I still love it. And, and I, I think that's, that's a testament to not only John Favreau's ability to make something good, but um, like just his, his wherewithal to, to want to make something good versus like, he's just in it for that Disney money. So I'm, I'm extremely happy that the show is, is where it is. Star Wars being one of my favorite things in the world. Um, a fucking tattoo for Christ's sake. And people going uh, right now, Andy would say, God, you've got a Star Wars tattoo. Tell me all about it. <laughs> the point, the reason I point out the Star Wars tattoo is I've literally <laughs> permanently <laughs> my body. Um, in regards to my love of the franchise. What do you um, have? Uh, it's a, <laughs> It's a yin yang, like the uh, but the, the 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 dots inside the black and the and the white are rebel and empire. Oh. Um, as a thirty-seven year old, I clearly see the silliness in that. Uh, but uh, when I was twenty-five, it was the do- dopest shit ever. But, and what's funny? Twelve years later, he still treats it like it is. I mean, it is. It's fucking cool, Maya. I'm just giving you a hard time because it was funny because the other night you mentioned it and Andy was like, Oh shit, you got a Star Wars tattoo? Really? Oh my God. Tell us all about it, Greg. And you know, because he was being facetious in that in that manner and I just thought it was funny as hell. Uh, <laughs> well that that I think that the reason I mention it at all is because a lot of people have this stigma that um I only have a Star Wars tattoo because I'm I am one of those toxic fans, and I'm not. So I have to clarify that, like, even with a Star Wars tattoo, I'm not that kind of fucking person. And I just like talking about Star Wars. I like experiencing Star Wars with other people. And so the fact that there are people that are talking about Star Wars and loving it like I do right now is, I it's so awesome. It's so awesome to have this and. I'm happy. I'm just happy that that it's there. I'm happy that we get to do this. I'm happy that, you know, everyone gets to see Star Wars in a way that I do. So, I give um, the I give the season, I give the episode a plus. I I can't get enough of it. So I'm excited for season two. I'm excited for what they're going to do with this this new like combined universe in the same time space. I'm curious. Um, about one thing and, and specifically, um, Betty. Yeah. 
having watched The Mandalorian and enjoying it like you have, has it made you want to reattempt to watch the original movies too in any in any way? No. Because you haven't seen all of them. I know you've only seen up to a certain point. I have to say no. Okay. I was just curious. Is there a reason behind that, if you don't mind me asking? I like the Mandalorian, but you know, again, I've had I feel like I've had enough experience with uh, the beginning parts of the franchise that I I just don't really have any desire to go back to it. Fair enough. Um, and 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 I, I even like again, I have a Star Wars tattoo. You guys know that. Um, Holy shit! I was literally about to say even someone with a Star Wars tattoo. I don't. I wouldn't ever want to pressure you into watching something you don't want to watch anyway. So, um, as much as I'd love you to watch it, I don't. Wouldn't want you to do it if you don't, if you're not wanting to. Um, uh, all right. Well, let's move on to the next thing, shall we? Shall we, guys? Mandalorian is fantastic, and Star Wars is fun and whatnot. So, um. So the next thing we have on our docket is uh, episode one of The Stand, the limited series on CBS All Access. Uh, it'll be a weekly episodic thing. It'll end in mid-February. Um, but uh, we're going to we're going to review it because because well, I like Stephen King novel or stories. My uh, Betty loves Stephen King books, so felt like it was a good combo. I don't know how Maya feels about Stephen King stuff, but well, my one of my favorite stories series of all time, book series of all time, is King's Dark Tower series. What the fuck? Amazing. I've, told you, I've told you that before. You think I'm going to remember that shit? I can't remember actors' names. Uh, that's true. You can't remember anything. I can't remember you're always, you're always looking at your goddamn phone or looking at Twitter. Or the difference, the difference is whether I give a shit. That's that's the oh, thing. so you don't give a shit about the things I care about. <laughs> that's what it is. That's what I said. Yeah, that's what I heard. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, uh, they're going to do a limited series on the novel that, um, from what I understand, I've been doing a little bit of research, and this is King's uh, biggest novel. Um, and it wasn't at first when he released it in, I think it was 78. Mm -hmm. uh, it was only 800 and some odd pages. And then uh, he like did a, he revised it, went back and like added shit to it and whatnot. And uh, now it's like 13 pages longer than it. Uh, but yeah, that was it's, it's, it's 1152 pages in its amended form. Yes. The complete uh, and uncut edition of the stand. But the uh, the stand is also arguably one of King's most popular novels too, um, as I think it is only the on the other one that's that's sold more copies. I could be wrong about that, but that's what I believe I read. So it makes sense that they're doing another uh, another adaptation of it. Yeah, because they did the mini series in the nineties. Um, I think it was ninety. 496 94 okay and uh it was good um 
but of course I think in this case, absolutely, in my opinion, the book is better. I've read it several times. I love it. And that I'm just a Stephen King fan, but I was glad to see they were bringing this to life as a full season, not as, you know, trying to crush everything into a certain time limit. Yeah. I think that books that are that long in the first place don't need to be made into like a movie or three episodes of a show. Yeah. And it looks like they've got a really good um, character cast going on here. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree. Um, well, Betty, if you wouldn't mind, uh, you want to give a synopsis to everyone listening if they have no idea what the stand is, uh, and what episode one is essentially about. Well, um, the stand is a book about a very quick moving, um, play <laughs> that hits America and the rest of the world. And it's kind of the end of times and there are two divided forces and you have, um, the good and the evil and the good in this case is being played by Whoopi Goldberg and the evil is uh, one of the scars guards. Can't remember which one. Alexander. Uh, Alexander scars guard. And that's going to be awesome. He is playing the character flag and certain people are still left alive and they're meeting up. And I think a lot of them have a choice to make at this point or we'll see very soon which way they have to go. But, you know, I know it's really hard right now for some people to watch this during a pandemic. Um, both of us have had somebody who has expressed this. And uh, I just want people listening to remember that, you know, it's not really going to play a big part past this episode. Uh, this is the stage for the real story that, yeah we're walking into the the plague was just a way to get us there and it has no bearing on what's going on today it's not the same type of plague and this was written 40 some years ago so please remember that when you're watching this and don't let it turn you off because episode two is going to be a whole lot different yeah 100 percent. i it was it was kind of interesting because uh um, it was my, it was my mom that was having trouble with it. And she, cause she was like, she was like, you know, this is going to give me anxiety. And I said, you know, like you remember the, 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 the other miniseries you had, you have the book, by the way, she's never read the book. She just owns it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know why, but, um, yeah, she clarified that with me yesterday. She was like, I own it. It's somewhere in the house, but I don't, I've never read it. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, but, uh, you know, my dad and I were just like, yeah, this isn't like the the whole pandemic part isn't isn't a permanent thing. It's it's just the linchpin that starts everything. And she was like, "I understand that. It's just it's just it's still kind of it's just a little rough right now." And I was like, "That's I understand." And just kind of try to get through it. And she got through it just fine. She at the end of it, she was just like, "Okay, it's whatever." Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it's um it's interesting. They also started making the show. They started filming the show. I think in 2018 is what I read. Uh, I had it pulled up. Hold on. I know they finished uh, production on it in March of this year. Yeah. Well before the point I was getting at is well before the pandemic. So this isn't some like ill-timed fucking thing. It's just, Hey, we made, we made an adaptation of something that mildly relates to our regular lives. Yeah. 
But um, yeah, I've never read. I never read the book, and I, and that's, there's a reason behind that, but um, partial reason. But I also don't remember the miniseries very well. I was a bit young. I was 11 at the time, and I remember it being a big deal on TV and whatnot. But I I definitely never watched it. But to be fair, I also wasn't interested in fucking X-Files when that was on TV regularly, so there's that too. But um, did either of you watch the miniseries? Mm-hmm. I did. I actually have it on DVD somewhere. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I've watched it a few times. That's interesting. It was, it was good. For 94, it was really good. Um. <laughs> By today's standards, it's, it doesn't hold up. <laughs> I mean, most things in that regard don't hold up, but yeah, because I was sitting there thinking, like, I don't, like, I know the story because it's just, you know, conversations and other people talking about stuff, but I had never, uh, I just don't remember ever watching it. So I don't, I don't honestly think I did, but. Um, How old were you? 11. Yeah, it probably wasn't up your alley at that point. No. I can promise you that it wasn't. Uh, it, it it had uh, Gary Sinise playing Stu Redman. Uh, Molly Ringwald was in it. Rob Lowe was in it. Wow. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't uh, say star-studded, but definitely a big cast. Well, star-studded Gary, at the time. Yeah, Gary Sinise was a pretty big deal in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Ed Harris was in it, Matt Frewer. Wow. You know what's the weirdest role that I remember Matt Fiore in? Matt it's Frewer. Another TV was it that Was it that horrible um, X, Generation uh, uh-huh. X? Yes. <sighs> <laughs> you know exactly what I was talking about. I remember watching that. Oh. Uh, the girl that had all the muscles and whatnot, I had a huge crush on. <laughs> anyway. Oh, it's funny. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, so, so the stand in the ni- in ninety four, I think it was uh, four two hour episodes. Uh-huh. This is going to be ten one hour episodes. So we're going to get a more uh, thorough storytelling. So that's I think that's another question I do have for both of you since you've seen the 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 stand from the 90s. Did was that show critiqued or that was that I guess show um critiqued for not being accurate to the book at all or was that like not a big thing at the time? No, oh. I think it was pretty accurate to the book. Yeah, I mean it still had to leave a lot of things out just because of the time and of course, you know, Thir- you know, twelve hundred pages almost versus uh, you know eight hours of TV time, and you got to factor in commercial time there. Yeah, there's a lot of things that were left out, but it was pretty on point. But there's always going to be that. Well, the book's better than the series crowd, for sure, for sure. I I think more so that obviously not you know in on the crowd at the time i didn't really look it up i just was curious like was it accepted or like was the like how far off from the adaptation because i guess my thought process is if the miniseries was three two-hour episodes and this is 10 episodes that's 
four was, hours more that we're getting here versus it was, that. It was four two-hour episodes. So that's yeah, that's only two hours more we're getting with this miniseries. Well, you got to think these were edited for commercials, so the standard hour with commercials is forty-two minutes. So eight forty-two-minute episodes versus these are going to be ten one-solid-hour commercial-free episodes. So yeah. how much more time are we getting with this miniseries? Uh, it's going to break down twenty. Uh, about four more hours, roughly. Interesting. Okay, so so that's that's more so what I was getting at because you, Betty, you've read the book and you've watched the miniseries. I guess on a percentage, how much did the original miniseries leave out? I wouldn't say it really left out too much. Um, I think that, well. There, there was a scene that I thought they would have left out, but they didn't. Um, I guess that is spoilery, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think overall, it, I, it did well for the time period. I think it did well for the time period. But, you know, again, they had to, just like we've had to do, they had to update things for the time because it was written in 78. It was made into right. a miniseries in you know 94 well from what and, I mean, uh, it was definitely 94 right i so what i what i also uh read recently was that in even in um in uh stephen king's revisal of it in 1990 he like it, uh, put the put the new time frame in the 80s um, well, no, originally the time frame was in 1980 uh, when it was published in 78, when he revised it in 90, he actually updated the time frame and set it in 1990. I thought it said the 80s, but all right. Um, That's what I'm looking at right here. I'm, I got you. I got you. It's fine. I, I was also looking at a comprehensive list of, of all of uh, King's adaptations yesterday, and it was like it left out Langoliers entirely. Um, so whatever. But um, yeah, so that's that. The, the, that's why I'm asking is like, how much do you think that this adaptation is being made because the other one people didn't really like the other one or just because oh were... no i think it's being made because people did like the other one and i think it, it was it's a good story if you're going to pick a story to update and do again that's a good one yeah and i think you know with the whole age of streaming and with the gloves can come off approach of you know network you're gonna see more Stephen King than normally would yeah yeah because okay. we've seen we've seen things be ad adapted from his works before and they've been very tame you know and he's the master of horror he is uh, not a tame man <laughs> no no and his stories aren't either and that's one of the first things i noticed you know the like the number of war, number of times fuck was said in the show. I was surprised. Yeah. Thinking, yeah. oh, well, it is streaming only. You get this is a pay service. It's, so, yeah, of course, the it's not going to be uh, as restrained as primetime television. And then, of course, the visual effects on the corpses, you know, maggots and just fucking all the nasty fluids that are oozing and this and that. We, we didn't get that in 94. Yeah, and <laughs> I, I was watching it and I was thinking, oh my God, am I being overly empathetic right now because I want to puke? 
And he's so gross. I could not even look. I was just like, mm, mm, you know, yeah. <laughs> it was makeup artist should win an award because that was impressive. Yeah, the the scene uh, towards the end of it where the guy was like clearly a, like he was dying and he came in and he had that like big fucking bulbous chin whatever the fuck you want to call that and the- <laughs> his Lucas Nick his Lucas Nick yeah his Lucas Nick he came and he was like so I want to tell you guys about my Star Wars thing it's for kids um uh no when he got when he <laughs> When James Marston stabbed it, I was like, that's fucking disgusting. <laughs> Sometimes you got to do what you got to do, you know? Yeah. Uh, I do feel, you know, it has been a hot minute since I have read the book because there was a time in my life when I had no TV. I had no job. I was disabled and laying on the couch. So I read a lot. I don't have that luxury these days. So. I do feel like some things have been left out. It's like uh, we go from them leaving the town to all of a sudden they're living somewhere. She's already hooked up with dude uh, and visibly pregnant. And, and he's, I just, it's like, I don't remember this. Am I going crazy? Because I feel like there's a lot of shit that happened between then and then yeah <laughs> I, I think we're gonna get time skips time jumps we're just gonna move back and forth yeah it's like i was remembering it, the way it started out i was like wait a minute this isn't this isn't what i remember the way it started out what is going on here i was like okay are they gonna tie this in and they did tie it in but it felt a little weird it felt a little off i mean i still have high hopes for it you know, getting those glimpses of flag in the background, it, it makes me grin like a little kid. So I do still have high hopes for it, but I, I'm not sure about what direction they're taking with the filming. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's definitely different. And I think that, I think that these, the, at least this episode and possibly the next episode are going to feel a little disjointed because I, I think that they want to get to the, the, the the good stuff, the meat and bones of of what makes the stand so popular, and and that was another thing that I read that I thought was so fascinating about the stand itself is that Stephen King basically was just like I wanted to make my version of like a, a Lord of the Rings story, but temporary, you know, uh, contemporary uh, USA. Um, and I think the show wants to get to that point. It seems like that because they rushed a lot of info in just this first episode, a lot of info at you. Well, again, I've having read the book, I, I agree. I, I can see the Lord of the Rings connection, actually. Um, you just have to put it in a very different setting. You know, so, but yeah, I can see the connection there. Um, everything in this episode was a very introductory episode as to what went down, but you don't see the nitty gritty of the reality of the plague. And I'm not sure how much that's going to play up uh, later in any episodes, but you know, overall it was a good episode. I am very curious about next week, Um, but it, I hope they do better. (laughs) So you, so you were a little disappointed in this or 
a little disappointed because again, I don't, it was so disconjointed that I was worried that somebody who'd never actually seen the stand or read it might not make connections that, you know, people who have read it have would make. It's like, you know, when the gas station and the dude at the army base, same dude, completely different scenes, scenes apart. You know, it's like, I hope other people are making the same connection. You know, this is that dude. <laughs> and I don't well, I mean, know. I if, felt if like it not, was too disjointed. If they're not paying attention, that's on them. I don't think that hindered the actual quality of the episode. Yeah, I was anyway. going to say, I, I, again, I've never watched the original miniseries. I've never read the book. Um, I only recognize the name Randall Flagg because I've seen it pop up when people talk about like this, the, the, the Stephen King averse. Um, but uh, I, I didn't have any trouble. Okay. Yeah. So, um, no, I understood that that was the same guy at the second that that scene happened. I just kind of like, oh shit. Okay. So he's the one that starts the plague entirely. And, and did you see the door? Yeah, there was a foot there who was holding it open. Which Whose I just, foot was that? Yeah, that's Flag's foot. So that's walking, dude. That's uh, contextually, it made perfect sense, and um, I'm personally very excited to continue the show. Like, I'm not gonna lie, Betty, I wasn't gung ho about it when you suggested it, and but now I am. <laughs> yeah, because it does get better. It gets a hell of a lot better, and you know, it. I think it really. People, I hope, come away understanding that, you know, people don't live in a black and white world. They live in a gray world of in-betweens. And this is very much shown because the population is so limited and you have these characters and you see them struggle with their own humanity. You know, and we're fighting the end of the world, the end of times, you know, humanity living on. It, it It's a very introspective story yeah my dad cracked me up because we were talking about it yesterday uh, while door dashing and he goes you know like as i said what'd you think of it and he just goes i you know i didn't i liked it i'm not saying i didn't like it but i i just did that guy's acting just really bothered me and i was like that guy's acting who who are you talking about who he was talking about was the guy that uh like was he got beat up in the beginning with his bike and then later he's howard howard okay couldn't remember his name. Harold. Shocking to anybody. Harold. Harold. Yeah. Harold Lauder is just the fucking worst. Yeah. So my dad's my dad was like, I couldn't stand him. And I and I go, in what way? And he goes, his acting was terrible. And he thought about it. And he goes, Well, maybe that's the point. Maybe, yeah. maybe maybe he was meant to be annoying because he's gonna be a, a bad guy. And I was like, Exactly. Exactly. He's the Steve Urkel of the stand. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but um, yeah, I, I I'm I'm very fascinated because we've discussed this before that I'm not the world's biggest fan of Stephen King's writing. I I just there's many reasons why I don't like it. Um, a lot of that has to do with my ADD brain, but that's besides the point. Um, but I love his stories. I love watching adaptations of his stories. I think they are so much fun, and I've watched a ton of them. Like my dad and I were going through a list of all like the adaptations that have ever been made. And I was just like, almost all of these are fantastic. And again, I say almost all because not all of them are good. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, I really enjoy like what people can do with his work. And it was funny when I was reading this stuff, apparently the guys who made it and it chapter two are going to be making more adaptations of Stephen King novels. Oh, that's going to be interesting. I hope they do good. I'm totally down with that. Okay. So my, you're familiar with the original, uh, miniseries at least, right? Mm -hmm. Do you think they're going to bring the Cullen brothers into this? Or do you think that that's something that you can't get away with these days and ages? No, I think they'll be in it. I'm very curious to see how they're going to take that, how 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 it's going to go down. I'd ask you what the hell that is, but I'm pretty certain that's a spoiler. Well, I mean, I already know that Tom Cullen's going to be played by Brad William Henke. Oh. So. Okay, cool. All right, so after the podcast, you guys, you're all gonna have to tell me, like, because I know it's spoiler territory for the, for the listeners, but yeah, I have no idea why it would be controversy. But those in the know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a stickler on spoilers for myself, but um, I know that you know a lot of people are. So I respect that. But I'm very the curious. Rest of y'all, you just gonna have to learn. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, spoiling it for you. Um, well, let's go ahead and give a grade to the first episode here. Um, I, I do feel like we are going to continue watching and reviewing this show as the weeks go on. Um, but uh, but yeah, um, who wants to go first? I will. All right, go ahead. Um, I give it a B plus, and that's basically because you know, again, big fan, seen the you know miniseries, read the book several times. It it felt very disjointed in places, and I don't feel like they put the story together very well, or I, I should say as well as they could have. Um, and again, it does worry me about people out there. I hope they're fucking paying attention, because you need to pay attention, otherwise you're going to miss some important shit, you know? Uh but I do have high hopes for this series, and I think it's only going to go up from here. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to give it an A. I really, really enjoyed it. I, I was enthralled and paid attention the whole time. I uh, surprisingly to Maya, probably I stayed off my phone. Um, hey, I'm surprised too. When I'm usually watching something, I'm not I'd like I'm not on my phone. If it, if I know that I have to pay attention or I know that the show is going to have subtle things in there, I'm not looking away. Um, and I knew that the show was going to from the first scene. Um, it's it's a lot of the time like let's take Hillbilly for example, which we'll review next. Um, I wasn't looking at the screen a hundred percent of the time uh, because I knew I didn't have to per se. But I know that this show was taken into a lot of care essentially, or at least I thought it was. So that's why I was like eyeballs on screen the whole time. Um, but uh, yeah, it's interesting you say that Betty, because I know that a lot of people don't pay cl- super close attention. They don't do that. And I don't understand that. I genuinely don't like, there's been tons of stories in the past where 
people just didn't pay attention. And then they would sit there and go, I don't understand this. I don't understand that. And I'm like, you fucking played the whole game. You watched the whole series. How did you not pick up on that? So I get your concern. Um, but I also think that fuck them if they can't pay attention straight up. Like if you're watching something and you miss a thing, you need to own that you missed it because you weren't paying attention or uh, pay the fuck attention. Like I genuinely dislike that wholeheartedly when people complain about a product that they watched and they're like, I missed the foot keeping that door open. How did I miss that? Well, you fucking missed it because you were looking at your phone. You fucking missed it because you weren't watching the, it's an hour of your life. What the fuck are you doing? So that's, that's my little rant on that. But, uh, I'm very excited for the rest of the series. I thought this was a lot of fun to watch. Um, I'm curious again, and I only know very little. So I know that this is going to probably both of you are gonna be like, Hmm, I'm curious if the virus was man-made. I think it was man-made. I think that's what JK Simmons's character was talking about, but I also think he might've just been talking about how it was, it wasn't mad made per se, but it was definitely like, here's the plan of action we're going to take if it hits the military versus like it was given to the military and this is what we did. But I'm, um, no, it, it was man-made. It was manufactured. They even oh, said it. Right. <laughs> they said it. When, what, at what point? Uh, See, I was under the assumption, here's the thing. We don't know if they made it, but we know they were utilizing it. They had their hands on it. And they have plans to turn it into a bioweapon. That's what I Something understand. Went wrong. Okay, okay. Who and who made that thing go wrong? The person who wants to see the world end. Which I assume is Randall Flagg. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's I, I I was under the assumption that it was it wasn't man-made, but it was definitely like I like I said, either a utilized by the government in, in a way to end the world or the world's governments or something to that effect and, and it just got out of control. But um they did plan to use it in bioterrorism and you know most um government labs like that or any labs for that period, but ones that are usually government sponsored, they tend to work on viruses that they find in nature instead of trying to create new ones because we really still don't have a handle on how a virus itself works because they don't have DNA, they have RNA, but yet they're able to replicate and do most of the things that we DNA things do. So, yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super fucking enthralled. I'm, I'm excited for episode two. I, I, I really hope that I'm glad. Like I said, a hundred times, like I don't, I don't think Stephen King is a bad writer. I just find that his writing does not appease the fucking ADD brain that I have. And see, I'm the kind of person when I read a story, I get really entrenched in it. It It's like I have the movie in my head. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's going on in my head. I am invested. I am there. And that, but that's just who I am. And again, I spent so much time reading books growing up. It wasn't even fucking funny. <laughs> I, I cast, I cast people that I know in roles picture the whole settings everything yeah i do the so same I, thing i think you guys might misunderstand what i'm getting at when i talk about stephen king's writing it has nothing to do with like i it, i'm i'm also doing what you guys are talking about like creating an image and, and a movie in my head 
I think the problem is, is that when, when Stephen King goes into extreme detail about a thing, the movie stops. It just straight stops in my head. And I can't, like, I lose interest really fast. And I stop paying attention to what I'm reading because it's not, the movie isn't going. It's like, it's like, it's like, imagine if you're watching uh, a Jurassic Park, right? And, and suddenly the movie stops and a guy walks out and goes, let me explain how RNA works. And then, and then uh, they did that. They did that though in Jurassic Park with the little cartoon. Okay. When you have not, a scene like that that you're talking about in my head, when he's going into great detail about something, I'm like a drone camera circling around the thing and creating it as he goes to the description that he's giving it to me. Yeah, I know like, stupid like, as hell. No, no, like a painting that's being painted in fast, yeah. fast motion. Like, boom, over here in this mountain, you know, with peaks, whatever. Or more like a video game where you see something coming, you know, into being, you know. Mm -hmm. it, it, that's kind of what it's like for me, you know. And, that's, that's but so again, Stephen King isn't, you know, his writing is boring to a lot of people. Uh, Anne Rice is boring to a lot of people. They also don't, she, she does that descriptive thing that people don't like. So I totally get it, but she makes great stories. Sure. No, that's, and that's, that's all I'm getting at is like when, when Stephen King's adaptations come out, I think I, I usually really fucking enjoy that. Really do. Um, I just, I think that again, it's, and it's a me thing. I, I don't think Stephen King is a bad writer, but I, I go back to the, to the, the description in the book cell. Like when he spends two whole pages talking about how hot the blood was on the knife. I, why? I have to tell you, Cell is not one of his better works. I was not that impressed with that one. No, you, do, you don't don't start with something like that. Start with something like fucking the Gunslinger. Here's the thing, I I thought that maybe it was just Cell until other people were like, oh no, that's just kind of how he writes. Like, yeah, uh, uh, it's not his best work, but it's definitely in regards to that he just he's a very descriptive writer. He 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 made sure to paint a really detailed picture. And I think that like and I've read other books, I've read other authors that do the same thing and it's 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 definitely a me thing. It's not it's not Stephen King, it's not, you know, whoever else. about it before. Yeah, like I I tried to what other book was it that I tried to read that the author did the same thing? There was another book I'm draw, I'm drawing a blank, but Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. I've never read that because I I know that that's what it is. I know that he spends copious amounts on shit that does like it's it's just world building and people love that stuff and i think i don't think there's anything wrong with it again and i, I can't say this enough it's absolutely 100 a me thing i i know that so what you're saying greg is that you're flawed and we're just going to have to accept that yes that's pretty much it i think you should try again nope not happening <laughs> but overall you're happy with it my I'll give it an A. I'm excited to see, you know, how this plays out on screen, this interpretation. I like seeing uh, new takes on old stories. Um, I like how this has been updated to be, you know, current times, uh, not set in 1990, obviously. Um, Harold Lauder is a fucking creep. Uh, absolutely. And the 
guy they got playing him is pulling off that creep factor very well. Mm-hmm. He is really nailing it. Um, but I'm also a big fan of James Marsden and always have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I like seeing him as Stu Redman. Not a uh, fan of Amber Heard, but we'll gloss over that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not either. Um, but, you know, uh, but yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to see how it unfolds. You know, I don't feel that it's disjointed. It's just a different way of storytelling, uh, in this overall story. You know, I'm, I'm curious to see how they're going to piece it together. Uh, but yeah, really think- looking forward to tomorrow's episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be, I, I, I'm, I'm, I think that this discussion is going to be interesting as we go throughout the weeks because the three of us have a different, a slightly different, like the way we're looking at it. Um, I like, I know borderline nothing. So, and then Betty, you know, everything. And I think my, you're like right in the middle of that. Well, I've never read the book. Yeah. To be honest. I'm very. Um, I'm just. I'm pointing out that I'm excited about future episodes of the podcast when we talk about this. So, <laughs> yeah. but uh, it's one of his, one of his most popular one of his most popular books that I've not read, uh, which is odd. You know, I should have, but I never picked it up. I usually get at least one Stephen King book a year for a gift. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think. Uh, you know, if you have CBS All Access or you want to get it, I know that's only six dollars a month with commercials. If that's what you want, ten dollars regularly. And um, like I said, we're gonna keep we're gonna keep watching it till the end. So if you want to join us for that, you're more than welcome. All right, let's go to the last uh, review of the day. Um, I'm a, I'm gonna hand it over to Maya on this one because this was something that she suggested very strongly that we watch. So. Well, um, recently on Netflix, a movie uh, popped up and people were talking about it. And a lot of people in this area were talking about it with extreme dislike. Uh, it's called called Hillbilly Elegy. Um, and the main thing they really didn't like about it is because it's more displeasure with the author than the movie itself, the author of the book that it's based upon because the author claims to be Appalachian born and bred, even though he only spent a few weeks of his summers as he was a small child uh, in Northern Northeastern Kentucky, uh, but resided in Ohio. It's a rags to riches story. And it, you know, it doesn't accurately portray what it's like to be an Appalachian. And it's a yes, big douche story. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and I saw an article that's like, if you really want to learn and see the ends of, you know, what these people are like, then watch Hillbilly. It's a documentary that was filmed in 2016, came out in 2018. Uh, it's on Hulu, and it was uh, 
Basically, it's a film that examines the iconic hillbilly image in media and culture. It explores more than 100 years' worth of media representation of mountain and rural people and offers an urgent exploration of how we see and think about rural America and the stereotypes therein. And the girl that that wrote this and directed it, Sally uh, Rubin and Ashley York, uh, they're the directors and writers. Um, Ashley, I think is the the main one on camera, right? She, uh, grew up like an hour from where I live. Most of this was filmed within just a few minutes of where I live. This is out my back door, uh, you know, front door. I only have one door. I've got a patio door and a front door but still this is over the hill like literally uh because i live in southwestern virginia but i am you know just literal as the crow flies less than five miles from the kentucky border um and i i watched this and i was like oh man i want to talk about this on the show so i just i suggested it to greg uh one night when we were playing fall guys uh, and mainly because when we play Fall Guys, one of the guys that we play with, Keith, he's always making fun and poking fun at my accent. Um, I was like, you know, I know I have an accent, but my accent is not nearly as pronounced as most people's around here. I was like, but if you want to get a good understanding and get past that stereotype, this is a good documentary to do so with. Um, Having been friends with, with you for so long and betty for a briefer moment of time um there's a lot that i've learned when it comes to appalachian culture primarily the pronunciation of appalachia um goddamn right (laughs) (laughs) and what's funny is that like when you watch this documentary um they there's even a pronunciation of it that's that's incorrect like you can hear it in like dan dan uh tells his name dan um the newscaster, uh, Dan Rather. Dan Rather, thank you. You can hear how he says Appalachia, and it's incorrect. And so I think that's why I've always mispronounced it. But you both watched this, and you were just like, "Yep, that's my home." I watched it, and <laughs> I don't, I don't know how to say this correctly, but I, there was a lot that I learned. There was quite a bit that I learned. But I don't think it was learned in the way that others might learn in this in this show. And I think well, a lot of that has to do with my exposure to you two. Well, uh, what did you walk away from it with? What did you learn? Empathy. Empathy for uh, people in that area. Empathy for reasons of, of why things happened. Uh, primarily the, the reason that, that a lot of Appalachia voted for Trump. And her showing the actual footage of Hillary saying, you know, like, we're going to take away the coal industry. Um, that Which was a horrible uh, move on her part. Oh, yeah. yeah. Didn't, didn't even know it. Like, that's the thing I'm getting at is I, in my in my mind, I went, great, let's do that. Because, you know, we need to go on renewable energy, right? As a Californian city boy, didn't even phase me when she said it back in 2016. And... Now I get it, though. It wasn't because of his policies or anything like that. It was because he literally backed the coal industry. And as she said in the beginning of the movie, there's only two jobs in Appalachia. 
the coal industry or Walmart. And what made yeah. that drive home harder was that poor guy who was in deliverance. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So. And, you know, he was in Betty's hometown where she lives on that campaign, that footage of him there in front of the coal miners and putting on the mining helmet and everything that took place in her town. You know, that's just an over an hour away from me in the opposite direction that happened. And when he did that, everybody around here is just like, that's my guy because they truly believed that he was going to turn it around. And it's not turned around. It's been on the decline uh, for years, but it was worse in the eighties and then it got better in the nineties and up until a few years ago, but it's on the decline again. But yeah, man, that's always been a big thing here. Um, the, the coal industry, like I live, you know, near several coal camps and coal camps when they were erected, back in the 20s and 30s and 40s every house was built like not even six feet apart all built the exact same layouts all looked identical and there are coal camps like that around here still standing people still live in them it's crazy jesus i you know that that was i knew that coal was a big industry in in appalachia i knew that because of just contextual shit that I've learned over my life. But what I didn't realize was how in like important it was to just the day and day, day in, day out for for people in the in the state. Like I I or the state, but the 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 region. Yeah. Well see, the thing is in the nineties with the Clinton administration, um, we knew at that point that close coal was on the decline. And we had the plan of basically better educating the people of this area so they could take over in technological jobs for new energy instead of ending up in a coal mine like their fathers and their uncles and their brothers. Uh, when 2001 happened, that all went out the shitter. Mm-hmm. And uh, education in the area did not improve under no uh, zero tolerance it got worse and it you know these people who are graduating today they have nowhere to go they have nothing to do and they think that coal will save them but it's a finite resource they have not provided any effort to sustain these people if it goes under and i it really it's not a matter of if it's when yeah like my brother-in-law he works in a mine um, he's a roof bolter. Uh, that's the guy that like when the mining machine comes in and bores out the earth and takes the coal out, he goes in behind and he has to drive three feet, three feet long bolts up into the roof to hold it in place, to keep it from caving in on them as they continually mine. So it's like one of the most dangerous jobs in the world. He's he's doing that because you know it's either that or either that or fast food. He wasn't able to go to college. He worked fast food in high school. Uh, you know, he and my sister got married after she graduated. 
you know, she's put herself through nursing school and she's a nurse now. That's basically, you know, to most people around here, they've made it. They've made it because they own their own place. They own their own vehicles. She's a nurse and he's a coal miner. And his life expectancy is 53. Yeah. And, and I think he's 30 right now. And he's already got lung issues out the ass. Oh, yeah. And, like, in his mind, there are guys that have tested positive and have not told anybody because they don't want to get shut down because that's how much they depend on the mm-hmm. job. Because they make a lot of money because they the people who run it, they know it's a short-term investment. They don't set their families up for when they die. They don't care. They want the money. You know, it's again, if they cared about what is going to happen in the future, we wouldn't be going through this right now. But for them, it's they take and take and take like they're going to take it to the grave. And it doesn't go with you when you die, man. It doesn't, you know. They don't care about these people. And I think it's been made more than clear. And when Hillary said what she said, she doomed herself. Yeah. For this area. Because it's so important to these people. They know their life expectancy is shit. What they hope is they leave enough behind that their family can live well. You know, or at least not in, you know, destitution. Yeah, it's like I said, that that was my takeaway was empathy. I it's it's so weird, you know, being uh, from California and in the city and and put having context like this be put on something that didn't previously have context. Um, you know, I'm not gonna lie, like Backwoods Yokels was the only you know like thought process I had for Trump supporters in the South. I, I, as, as I expressed to both of you, I've never been the type of person to immediately hear an accent and think the person's stupid. Um, as a matter of fact, I had an argument with a friend a long time ago in a, in a funny way that uh, basically I, we were talking about accents and being attractive. I was working at Walmart at the time and um, a woman who was Russian had come in with red hair and my brain just went, I, I love you. Um, uh, uh, uh. And uh, we had a long conversation. Did you, did you ask her to say moose and squirrel? <laughs> moose and squirrel. No, because all my brain was doing was like red hair accent. Yes, please. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the thing that the, the conversation spawned into like, to me, an accent is attractive, period. He was sitting there saying that the only accent that is not attractive to him is a um, a southern accent. And I was just like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, a southern accent can be totally attractive. Like, think about from the perspective of, like, um, you know, like a southern bell or something like that. And he was just like, no, it's 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 still, like, they still sound really stupid. They still sound dumb. And I was just, that was such a weird, like, thought process to me. But this documentary put that into context. You know, yeah. like... And it shows how very common that thought process is. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So it was. But okay. at the same time, because this was filmed during the Trump election, the first time, 2016. 
it also showed that many of these people have come to depend upon these stereotypes and they wear them as a badge. Yeah. And, you know, and the, you know, there's truth in advertising. I mean, there, there are quite a few that are accurate to the stereotype and not because, you know, they're dependent upon it. They just exist that way. Yeah, that's been their whole life, and, you know, they won't go outside of it. Um, it. There's always a truth to the stereotype, and while most people who live in the South, I would say, are not, you know, stupid, there is a form of inclusiveness in Appalachia that is extremely unique. And to travel outside that area is not as likely as it probably would be for other parts of the United States because it is very inclusive. And um, because of the socioeconomic status here, people often get married young and have babies young and have families young. And before, you know, they hit 25, they've already got two to three kids. They're married, working in, you know, separate uh, fast food restaurants trying to make ends meet and there's no way out. You know, they, they take their family to the fucking Ram clinic, which is remote area clinic, which was started for uh, depraved countries around the world. The ones that have, you know, no access to healthcare. We have that here in Appalachia and that's wrong. Every this is summer. America. Every summer. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know, I had some serious dental issues. Um, I had dental insurance that was worthless that I was paying a hundred bucks a month for and was essentially worthless. It wouldn't even cover, but $18 of my x-ray. That's all it covered. And I had massive dental work that I needed done. I had to go to a Ram clinic to have my dental work done for free. And they do dental, they do eye vision. Um, What else? They check for breast cancer. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, just very basic services. And it's like, how the hell is this going on in America? How the hell? Nobody seems to notice us or care about us. And And it's a three-day thing. It goes from Friday morning to Sunday afternoon. And people will camp out for this shit to be first in line. They camp out, they start showing up Wednesday, Thursday night, and get in line and line up, and we'll stand in line 18 hours to be seen. It's sad. That's the thing about this documentary that that kind of threw me for a loop was, it wasn't just about, like, the offbeat culture, because everyone kind of makes fun of it. It was like, oh, but if you keep making fun of of this place in the media for so long, and then expect the people to not like kind of go like, Oh yeah, this is just who we are. Let's embrace it. And then have it have a negative effect. Like you're, you're not paying attention. And I'll admit I wasn't paying attention. Um, Didn't realize it was a thing until this movie was like, Oh yeah, it's a thing. And I'm like, it makes fucking perfect sense. Psychologically speaking, this is, this is how it works. This is what it is when you tell a group of people that they're, that they don't mean anything. They ostracize not only they they don't only feel ostracized, but they start to ostracize themselves. And well, you know, and that to be honest, 
part of it is they were already ostracized to begin with. They they were so inclusive. The Appalachians, they were really nothing to the rest of America. They really never have been outside the freaking Smoky Mountains. You know, and people don't understand this is a this is a pocket of America where life is different. You know, I'm not saying it's bad, but it's different. You know what the people go through. Uh, nobody, they're, they're not living up to anybody else's stereotypes. They are who they are. No, they don't have to affect it. They are who they are. This was there before the stereotype. You know, and they they don't give a hoot, and nor should they. You know, what bothers me is you could have plenty of Southern children who are well-educated if it were not for shit like No Child Left Behind, which punishes schools that need the most fucking help, which is a lot of Appalachia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I again, always say... The technology that they, we, we were promised that we were going to give our kids, <laughs> it never fucking came. Yeah, never came. I always argue that education is tantamount to improving the country's standards. But if the education isn't happening because our government is putting in uh, uh, things like no child left behind, that's actually leaving children behind. Like that's. It's that, leaving that, the most impoverished behind the ones who need the help the most behind. Yeah. yeah. And you know, the other side wants to, um, create charters to help these poor kids go to better Christian schools. And it's like, you know, no, that should not be happening. We need to focus on making public schools better, not shipping off kids to fucking private religious institutions with a fucking voucher the government pays for when that could go to serve the students in the fucking school. Yeah. It's upsetting. Really I get is. angry. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're right. No, it's it's totally like I wish I wish there was there was a way that I had kind of learned this prior to this documentary. Um, I feel like it's always this really negative thing when uh, I say that weirdly. It's always this thing where people don't really put into play or concept about like what problems there are. Um, you know, uh, I think it's really easy, especially for someone like me to ignore Appalachia because I'm not affected by it necessarily. Um, uh, especially California. I'm, I'm as far in, in America other than Alaska and, and Hawaii, you can get from Appalachia. Yeah. And, uh, I'm really happy that documentaries like this exist, especially for people like me. Um, I'm really happy that, you know, I've, I've made friends like you two. So that way I, I'm more exposed and I, and I can see problems in, in a way that I wouldn't have been able to prior. So I, I, and that's again, like you said, Betty, like what was your takeaway? I'm just like empathy, a lot of fucking empathy. Um, like her, her family all voting for Trump and not, and again, not because of policies or anything like that, but because, or lack of education, but just straight up because they were worried about their jobs. They were worried about making money. And you even heard her uncle. who's like, I was a lifelong Democrat. And then she said, I'm taking away coal. Yeah. And he said, I'm bringing it back. He said, that's all I needed to hear. Yep. 
that was a huge misstep on her part through what three states yeah you know i mean that that just lost her so many votes and you know she should have never said anything like that i know what she meant but that's not what she said you know <laughs> yeah. right yeah exactly and and I, it's 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 disheartening to to see not only how Appalachia has to survive, they have to survive like this because like like both of you said, the rest of the fucking country doesn't give a shit about you, dude. I mean, there's a thing. A lot of people around here uh, will talk about like once you get to like Roanoke, which is about three hours from here. You know, from there, east and north, that part of the state is well taken care of. This part of the state is just like abysmal. It's abysmal. There's hardly any representation, and what representation we do have for here doesn't put it back into us, you know, like we feel is owed to us. You know what I'm saying? Um, and it's unfortunate. So it's a big thing when a call center comes here. Oh, it's going to create 200 jobs, a call center. And you, people will come out of the woodwork applying for this because it's better than minimum wage. Because, you know, minimum wage is still, what, seven twenty-five an hour? Mm-hmm. And that's what most everything pays around here. Misty is fortunate because she works from home and she makes double that. So she's lucky. We're not we're not living, you know, like kings or anything, but we live comfortably within our means. But it's almost and the problem impossible. Is too, those call centers are just as likely to close up without a mm-hmm. moment's notice. And just exactly they came in are out of a job. They come in because they're promised tax breaks and they don't have to pay any taxes. And then as soon as their deal's up for the four or five years where they get the tax breaks, they close shop and go set up in another place because they got the same deal worked out and they don't have to pay anything to the county. And it's good for the county because, oh, well, all these people are making money and they're putting their money back in locally. Well, as long as they're not doing it to Walmart, yeah. But that's the problem. It's it's a perpetual, never-ending cycle of we're fucked. I feel like we're going to get to the point where we have just as many Walmarts as we have churches in the area. I mean, yeah, really. Uh, we have a lot of churches. <laughs> yeah, there's a saying, you can't swing a cat by its tail without hitting a church. Well, I live next to one, so... <laughs> yeah, I've got one. For me, it's literally true. I've got one right outside my neighborhood, and then about two miles down the road is a little white and um, like old chapel. And then at the very end of the road is a huge warehouse looking building that is like a creepy ass Christian church. They do weird shit I don't even want to talk about. But yeah, so that's that's just. It's a lot, man. It's a lot. And every time you walk out your house and you walk in, like, say, through your neighborhood, somebody's going to ask you where you go to church and invite you to your to theirs. And it's like, mm-hmm. I don't want to go. 
Why are you doing this? Why are you pushing this on me? I never yeah. even mentioned religion. And here I am trying to deflect you asking me to church. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And if they they take it personal too, if you say you don't have a church and you decline to go to theirs, they get mad. That's how we became devil worshippers. You know, one of our neighbors across the street thinks that we're freaking devil worshippers because we don't go to church. <laughs> I'm like, okay. I'll never understand that. I know that there's there are some people here in California that are the same way. Obviously, not nearly as many, but. But if it's, you usually, people, it's usually rural areas, though. Yeah. Yeah. If you told people in this area that they were super superstitious, they would smack you for blasphemy. But the truth is, they are very, very superstitious people. You know, yeah. I mean, to treat somebody like that simply because they don't attend a church service, why? You know, you think they're the devil because of that? That makes no sense. You know, I mean, I remember as a young woman having flyers sent to my house from a church telling uh, women that they should not divorce their husbands, even if they beat them, because it's their duty to make their husband a better person. Ugh. Yeah. Disgusting. I, I'm going to do something a little unorthodox for the podcast. We're not going to give this documentary a grade. What I'm going to say, however, is if you don't live in Appalachia, watch this documentary. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's a little, it's a, it's a bit eye opening to the to the region to the area. Uh, it covers quite a bit. I kind of wish it was longer. There was a lot more that I love to learn. Like she made a very enthralling documentary, and she she does something that I think is clever for documentaries, and that's just letting things kind of naturally happen in conversation, showing it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, she she did it. She did a very good job at like she was in that house with a bunch of people who were like, "Yeah, I voted for Trump, and I really wanted him to win." And and did they treat her bad? No, no, of course no. not. Did they, uh, you know, rib her a little bit? Yeah, they did. That's what families do in the yeah. South, or I would assume anywhere else. You know, but I think overall, it, it does tell you that there's a lot of difference of opinion in this area, but. At the end of the day, most of us still love our family, even if we think they're stupid in politics. Yeah, and I think that's, again, like, and, and coming from my perspective, because, again, like I said, I'm, I'm the furthest you can get away without crossing a, a, another country or the ocean that you can get from Appalachia in this country. It is extremely easy for someone like me or another Californian for that matter to totally ignore that part of the country, to totally ignore the problems. And I don't ever want to be a mean person. I don't ever want to be rude. I want to assume that society and that humanity is, is good for the most part. And that when people choose to vote for somebody or they, they, they make a choice with their life, there are underlining reasons, but it's so easy to ignore the downtrodden when you're mm -hmm. not part of that downtrodden. And the worst part about it to me, the, the, the part that makes me feel, I guess, the most guilty is I'm not that far off from y'all. I'm really not. I've been stuck in this town that I've lived in my entire life. I have very limited job options because of my education and I, in regards to not having college education on that jazz. Um, 
granted, it's not the same scenario, obviously, but being trapped because of circumstances is not something that is totally just foreign to Appalachian people. It is. Oh no, there's a birth lottery for a reason. But, mm-hmm. but our society forces this level of classism that if you aren't from the deep South, if you're not from backwoods people, you're a better class of person, even though you're probably making the same fucking amount and are just as trapped. Well, you know, that classism exists here as well, because you do have like, you know, as shown throughout the country, you have the very, very rich and the very, very poor and very few in between. It is the same here. You have the very, very rich. Here in Abingdon, we have a golf course that to be a member of, it costs $100,000 a year. I used to live right next to that golf course, too. Yeah. My sister worked there for years. She got some great training in how to be a waitress and shit. But she met a lot of famous people that way, too. Presidents, uh, football players, senators, stuff like that. Hundred thousand dollars a year. Now here I am living in a subdivision in a three bedroom, one bath house that cost me eighty thousand dollars when we first bought it, you know, and here these motherfuckers are making payments for the rights to sit on a fucking country club for a that hundred thousand dollars a year. That's insane. You know, I mean the disparity is so obvious. It's it's crazy because you definitely do have a divide here between the haves and the have-nots. We have segregated ourselves in classist ways. We have segregated ourselves in racist ways. Most of the uh, people of color in this area, they don't live in Abingdon. They live in an area between Meadowview and Glade Springs. And it's been that way for a long, long time. Yeah. And we're just as subject to it as y'all are. It's like, oh, well, I'm, I may be, you know, Appalachian, but I'm not poor Appalachian. Oh, I may be Appalachian, but I'm not white trash Appalachian. Oh, I may be Appalachian. Well, I'm not meth head Appalachian, you know, and the list can go on. See, I'm, I'm poor white trash Appalachian, but not meth head. <laughs> so, there you go. There's your sign. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I, it was definitely it was, it was very much eye opening and and I think that's why we're not I'm not going to give it a grade. I don't think we should give it a grade. It's a very mm-hmm. good documentary and you should see it. Period. Not not like oh we want you to see it. Uh you should see it. These are these are other human beings that are struggling. These are other human beings that are not that far off from yourself. And we have to stop playing classism when it comes to this stuff. And instead of sitting there looking at the Appalachian people, and I'm talking directly to people who don't live in Appalachia right now. If you listen to this podcast and you aren't in the region that my and Betty are in, and you live in, you know, another Western state. Oh yeah. Western state. Listen to me, watch this documentary, take away quite a bit from it. Learn what you can. It is, like I said, it gave me a level of empathy. I didn't, I didn't quite know I had before. And I think it's important that more and more people kind of understand what is being expressed in this documentary. Um, I have a thing about documentaries, my personal self, where I feel like a lot of documentaries intentionally mislead based on their agenda. Um, This isn't one of those. The agenda here, if you want one, is to, to have further empathy for your fellow human, even if they don't live in the same area you live in. 
And um, I think that's very important, especially now in this day and age. So, I mean, yeah, and that's the thing. A good portion of Appalachians, they're not bad people, even if you think they're backwards or they sound funny. The only thing that we're dealing with is the lack of education that we were promised by the government and they never gave to us. And it keeps us down. You know, what are you supposed to do when you don't have the money for college or you don't have the grades for college? You end up working at a fast food job and maybe if you're lucky, a factory job or a, you know, telephone job will open up somewhere and maybe you'll have it good for five years, but you don't know when that company's going to close. I mean, most of Appalachia is very hard and down on its luck. It's not well educated and the country should really look at it and think, you know, this is something we need to focus on. Once we get out of COVID, we need to focus on helping the infrastructure of the Appalachian people because we truly, truly need it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do. Uh, well, <clears throat> I think on that note, let's go ahead and wrap up the podcast. Um, this isn't again. I can't stress this enough. We're not giving it a grade. Just go watch it. Just it's on Hulu. It's called Hillabilly. It's an hour and a half of your life that you deserve to watch, and it's absolutely worth watching. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Uh, all right then. <laughs> I knew that was going to be a head conversation because there's a lot to discuss in that. Um, but yeah, so um, for next week, everybody, we're gonna it's gonna be another heavy review episode because there's a lot apparently coming out at one time. Uh, we're gonna what's that, Maya? Oh, uh, we're gonna be doing um, um, episode two of The Stand again. That's on CBS All Access. And we're going to uh, review two films, uh, Wonder Woman 1984 on HBO Max and Soul from Pixar on Disney+. Plus. I'm very excited for both those movies. So, um, should be, should be good. Uh, Make sure you follow us on the social, all the socials listed below, including our new Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash, uh, sorry, yeah, slash all underscore cued underscore up. Um, that's where you'll find us playing Jackbox uh, when we do that. Uh, you also follow us on the socials to get all that stuff. Um, we have a lot of new merch in the Redbubble store. Nope. Uh, Teespring. Teespring, my bad. Um, yeah. The, 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 uh, what was the guy's name that did the art? Uh, William Fong. William Fong. I knew I had it right in my head and I should have just said it. Yeah. Uh, great art from him. You can have that on a shirt, a mug, I believe a beanie, a hoodie. I don't know. Hoodie is. But also the new logo we have, not just the uh, the art, the new logo. Did you put that together, Maya? Uh, well, I I cobbled up a mock-up and then sent it to a friend, and she gave me the nice revised version. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. She made it better. Yeah. <laughs> she, she, she took what I wanted, the idea that I had, and ran with it and made it look all nice and shiny. Uh, Amber Maka, she has a business, Maka Designs on Instagram, M-A-J-K-A Designs. It's not Magica Maka. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I want, I want that. I want that design on a mug. So yeah, yeah. When I have money, well, there, there's there's mugs um, that have both the logo on one side and the art of the three of us on the other. So, oh, we need to make a peace, love, and polypops T-shirt. <laughs> that I'll, do. I'll be on that this week. 
um well on that note everybody uh maya where can people find you online you can find me on facebook under my name uh it's a public profile uh you can follow me on twitter and instagram through there uh they're linked on my profile as for other shows you can hear me uh, aside from this one you can catch me on the realm of collectors youtube channel every other Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern on a show called Figabangin'. And then every uh, Friday night at 9 p.m. on uh, the Nerd Life Syndicate. <clears throat> and that's where you can find me. What about you, Betty? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Bright Betty, And you can find me on Facebook under Betty Badger Ogletree. And uh, I'm usually on there posting my opinions about shit people probably don't care about. So, <laughs> uh, you can find me at Chub Rock Geek on all socials. Um, uh, apparently had a burp right then and there, so that was fun. Uh, I think that's it for the most part. Um, I know that uh, <sighs> I lost it. There was something I wanted to say, and it's gone, but it doesn't matter. So, Chub Rookie on all socials. There you go. Yeah, um, and you can find videos on YouTube. Yeah, that's yeah. Um, we uh, we have all past episodes uh, uploading. Is it daily? Every other day? It's it's often. Uh, well, well, <laughs> the the YouTube uh, there was a problem with episodes publishing automatically, and they've resolved that now. So when we publish new episodes, they are automatically uploaded to YouTube as well. But I have been going back and downloading and uploading a few here and there as time permits uh, to the YouTube channel to have all of our catalog there eventually. That's my goal. Um, yeah. But every Friday now there is, for those people who prefer a, to listen on YouTube uh, over iTunes or Apple, or uh, not Apple, but uh, Amazon Music, what have you, you do have that option. Awesome. Yeah. I, I, the other thing I wanted to do eventually for the YouTube channel is uh, like little, little uh, individual reviews for each of us to kind of like just use our phones or our, our webcams, no editing or anything. Just like hey, everybody. So I watched this new thing recently and yada, yada, yada. So I think that'd be fun, but Oh, it'll happen when it happens. No rush on that one. Just an idea. But, uh, but hey, everybody, um, Again, check out uh, uh, Stand Episode 2, Wonder Woman 1984 and Soul, and we'll see you next week. All right, peace, love, and Polly Pops, everybody. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Take care, everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. <laughs> <laughs>